Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett, and we're going to be starting a brand new teaching series this morning on establishing his righteousness. Just so you know, all of our teachings are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, and we uh, we also want it's also archived on our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And just so you know, if you'd like to do so, you can uh, partner with us financially from anywhere in the world. Just simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, go to our Give page, and you can give online anywhere from the world. If uh, you'd rather send us a check, you can do so by simply, again, going to our website. And on the bottom, the foot of every page, we have our mailing address. Simply make the checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And just so you know that we are, uh, if you are in the United States, we are a 501c3 church. <coughs> Excuse me here. So your tax donations here in the United States will be tax deductible. Okay? Uh, we will have our Bible study tonight. <coughs> Excuse me. At 6 o'clock on Effortless Change by Andrew Womack. And then again, we will have a Bible study at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, and that will be on the Believer's Authority. So, without, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump right into our message this morning. I'm starting a brand new teaching this morning called Establishing His Righteousness. Now, this is new in the sense that we just finished another series, but this is not new to this church, anyone who's been here any, any time. Right? Anyone who knows me knows that this is my primary teaching. Anyone who knows me is this is the teaching that I am just more passionate about more than anything else. It's a foundational teaching that everything else we teach, and almost every teaching, if not every teaching, I will refer to something regarding righteousness uh, somewhere in, in, the, in the pipeline. And I also want to just make mention real quick that we are actually in the process of putting together a, a, a Bible Academy. And it's going to be free, and it's going to be free to anybody. There will be a simple enrollment registration. And uh, people can, uh, uh, from anywhere around the world, it will be online, it will be through our website. And so you can get all that information later. If you want to look at some of the details, you simply go to our website, lighthousediscipleship.org. You go to our ministries tab, and underneath there we have our Bible classes. Right now we still have our discipleship program, our real discipleship program. That is actually going to be transferring to our new Elio's Bible Academy, and that will actually start in January. You're going to hear more about it. I don't have a lot of details for you right now. So don't worry about taking a lot of notes on this right now, because I'm going to be saying a lot of different things about this in the weeks to come. we still got two full months before we really launch this out. But it's going to be uh, Elio's Bible Academy. And again, simply go to our website, go to our ministries tab, and go to our Bible classes, and I have a blurb on there, and you can kind of uh, navigate about that. Anyone can register online and it's going to be free. I don't think discipleship should cut half the cost of it. At the same point in time, we do appreciate your tithes and your offerings so that we can do this on a global basis. We have over 14,000 people watching us every week. And people from many countries, some can't afford it. And so we are actually going to use this program to uh, let people sponsor other students. It costs us about $50 a month per student to put this on. 
but we are doing it free because we're not about making money. We're about preaching the gospel. But it takes money sometimes to do some things. Okay, and so we're trusting God. God will put on people's hearts. God will begin to put on some of your hearts to help us bring the gospel. You know, the title of this series, and, and this class, what I'm teaching right now will actually be one of the first classes that we're going to be teaching. I'll be teaching this again in January in our Bible Academy because this is a very foundational one. And I'm going to be talking about righteousness. But one of the key things that I talk about righteousness is I want people to be established in it. It's one thing to know you can, you can define the word. It's one thing that you can describe the word. But it's another thing to be established in righteousness. And we're going to be talking about that. And as a pastor, in our, our church's Lighthouse Discipleship Center, the key word discipleship is that we're about discipling people to be established in righteousness, among other things. And what we're going to find out in this teaching, there's eight lessons in this teaching. And the first lesson that we're going to be hitting on today is entitled, The Unity of the Faith. And we'll be talking about this today. This, uh, there'll be eight segments to this, this teaching. And this first one is talking about the unity of the faith. And I'll be explaining that throughout the, uh, the, the, this next hour. <coughs> Me. Let me just back up one moment too, and, and as I prepare to launch this uh, new teaching series this morning. You know, I grew up in a great Christian home. I went to good churches through the years. I don't know where I got the concept, because when I, when I backtrack, my parents didn't teach us this way, and my other pastors I've been in connection with, they didn't teach us this way. But somewhere through the line, I got the wrong perception of what righteousness was. I thought righteousness was right living, living right, living holy, living righteous. And I'm all about living holy, and I'm all about living righteous. I'm not against that. But I thought the word righteousness was right living, living right. That's what I thought it was. But that's not the word. First of all, the word is used over 500 times in the New, in New Testament and Old Testament. And the word is a noun, it's not a verb. And that, how do you know? I don't know about... You, but a noun is a person, place, or thing, and a verb is an action. A noun is not an action. A noun is a person, place, or thing. Righteousness is who we are. And when I got and when I got this revelation of righteousness, this was back around 2009 when I got this revelation. I had already been in ministry for a number of years. I had a lot of teachings. I had a lot of cassette tapes. That's what that's what we used back then. Now we use. Uh, basically MP4 and internet, Facebook, and all kinds of stuff out there. Okay, but at the same point in time, that's what I had, and I had all kinds of notes. I had file cabinets full of notes and study stuff. I got a revelation of righteousness, and I threw all my notes away, all my cassette tapes away, and I filled up two big trash cans. I mean, they were big, I don't know, 55 gallon or more trash cans, uh, full of all my stuff. And in that particular season, 2009, I wasn't actually in ministry at the time. I'd been in ministry prior. And I said, Lord, if you can help me get back into ministry, I will preach this. I will preach righteousness. And when we started this church seven years ago, seven years ago, July, we actually had our first service on the first Sunday of December in 2014. That was our first service. We actually started getting the 501c3 together in July, but in December, the first uh uh, first Sunday of December in 2014 is when we actually had our first service. And for a whole year, I taught on righteousness. I didn't plan on doing a whole year of this, 
But I, I, like I told the Lord, if you would get me back in the ministry, this is what I'll teach. Now, we teach other things. And we're going to find out in this teaching that righteousness is the foundation. I mean, we know if the foundation is wrong, the whole building's going to be wrong. But if the foundation's good, you can build on that foundation. I can teach on any subject if we have this foundation. That's why I want you to be, going back one slide, I want you to be established in his righteousness. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. And we're going to get into the detail of that. So the, the, this first lesson is talking about the unity of the faith. Or that sounds like a strange title, especially in connection with righteousness. Okay, It doesn't sound like a strange title in and of itself, but in connection with righteousness, what does this have to do with righteousness? One of the things I'm going to convey this morning, before we get into the depths of righteousness, is that there was, there's one message. And there's one message that Paul preached. There's one message that he wants us to hear. Now, there's different aspects to that message. You know, when you build a foundation of a house, you can build a house many different ways. But the foundation has to be, uh, there's certain elements of a foundation that need to be consistent. We might not agree on everything. Like, for example, in time events, we may not agree on how we perceive that. But righteousness needs to be uh, consistent. I won't argue about some topics because... I don't think they're as essential. But righteousness is essential. And there's some do doctrines that are essential. Uh, and so, what do I mean by essential? You know, the best way I can describe this, and we got this from Arthur Minchin, one of our teachers when we went to Bible school. He talked about essential. You know, when you, when, if you were to call the EMT, paramedics, 911, and they came, the first thing they're going to do is check your vital signs. They want to make sure you're breathing, and they want to make sure you have a heartbeat. Everything else is, excuse me, is important, but it's not essential. If you're not breathing and you don't have a heartbeat, it doesn't really matter about the broken arm. It doesn't really matter about other things. If you can't breathe and if you don't have a heartbeat, nothing else really matters. Now, I'm not saying other things are not important. I'm saying the vital signs are essential. Okay. And there's certain doctrines, there's certain foundations that are essential. If the, the, if the, you know, whether you paint the wall blue, green, white, or whatever, it's not, it, it can be important, but it's not essential. But if you don't have a good foundation, it doesn't matter what color you paint that, that wall. The chances are that wall, that wall can eventually come down. <laughs> okay? And the whole house can crumble. Okay? There might be different styles of cosmetics to the house that are, are can be important, the plumbing is important, and there's, you know, when you build a foundation, it's not just a cement slab that's underneath. There's plumbing, there's electrical, there's other aspects. I, I can't really teach you about how to build a house because I don't know how. I don't know how to build a foundation of a house. And I'm talking about construction right now. But I do know it's essential. <coughs> and, and so, um, it, and I, you know, in one of our old, former homes, we had one crack and went down the center of the living room. And, you know, it just was a little eyesore. But I, you know, we had that construction guy come to our house one time and says, you know why that cracks there? It's because the foundation's wrong. And, and so, uh, you know, there's really no way to really fix that. Yeah, you can patch it up or whatever, but you got to change the whole house. you got to change the whole foundation to fix that. And so, it's, uh, it's, and so you know, uh, foundation's essential. It's important, okay? And so it's a vital science. To me... 
there's different things that we may not be unified, and I'll get into this, there might be certain doctrines that we might not be unified on, but there are some, some doctrines that we must be unified on, and one of these is righteousness. Okay. And the title of this is The Unity of the Faith. There's a definite article. It's not just any faith. It's the faith. Okay, and we'll get into that. So let's use it. And now I'm going to have a lot of scriptures in this whole teaching because, you know, I had someone critique me years ago and said, Dave, you use too many scriptures. They thought it was a negative thing. I thought it was a positive thing. I go, if you're gonna, if the, your biggest complaint about me is I use too many scriptures, I mean, you just, you just made my day. Because... I don't want to teach anything that I can't find it on foundation uh, on Scripture. If I can't build this case, if we can't be unified with Scripture, then then we have no faith. Because where does faith come from? The Word of God. You can't have faith without the Word of God. It, it, it doesn't exist. And so, uh, so I, I'm going to use a lot of Scripture to 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 uh, to give evidence to what I'm trying to teach and convey this teaching. So the first one I want to go to is Isaiah 52, verse 7. And again, we're talking about right now the unity of the faith. We're, we'll get into righteousness soon. <coughs> but right now I'm talking about there's one message. There's one, thing I'm, there's one main message. And in Isaiah 52, uh, God says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. I want you to see that word. Who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. There's a lot in this verse. I could spend a whole hour just compacting this verse. But let me just say this. That Zion, if I can say the word Zion out, it means God's people. It means the church of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are Zion. Uh, to, you go back to even Isaiah chapter 1. The church, the people of God are Zion. Okay? The church, we're telling the, tell the, the church that your God reigns. Let me unpack this verse just for a moment real quick here. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. How many know that the gospel is, de is defined as good news? So I could actually reread, re rephrase this, this verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the gospel. Who brings good news. There's only one good news and that is the gospel. Okay? And this gospel, this person who's bringing this good news, proclaims three things. He proclaims peace. He brings glad tidings of good things. That's also speaking of the gospel. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually be speaking about glad tidings of good things in more detail on our Christmas service. On, it'll be the day after Christmas, but we'll, we'll be having our Christmas service on the 26th. And we'll be talking about glad tidings of good things. Okay? And then, who proclaims salvation... And who says, as I am, your God reigns. So kind of three things here. But all three of these things kind of are summed up in who says, as I am, your God reigns. You know, when, as a pastor, I get calls sometimes for people to pray for me. Or to pray for them. <laughs> or I might get a call to go to a hospital to visit somebody. Or whatever the case may be. And there's two things that I do. There's three things mentioned here, but it sums up to me in two things. The first thing I do, I proclaim peace. And the second thing that I do is proclaim salvation. Peace. You know, it's, first of all, especially if there's been a tragedy, or there's been a death in the family, or whatever the case may be, or maybe there's a marriage conflict, or whatever the case may be, the first thing I'm going to establish is peace. How many of you know you can't have a conversation with anybody if there's no peace? 
they're not going to be able to retain anything. They're not going to be able to minister to them. You're not going to be able to really help them if they're not peace. How many times did Jesus tell his disciples and other people, peace be with you? You know, uh, why are you afraid? So many times he, 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 you know, even the word shalom means peace. And so the first thing I'm going to do is establish peace. I'm not here preaching the gospel down their throat. I'm not here uh, trying to, to prove my point. I'm here to bring peace. And, and one of the things that Jesus did, and we're, we're getting into the Christmas season here pretty, uh, pretty soon, is that he has brought peace on earth and, and goodwill towards men. Peace. Okay, peace. And I can go, go to a lot more details of that. But I, 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 and I don't just <coughs> say peace. I proclaim it. I am proclaiming good news. And that good news is, if you, <coughs> excuse me, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the armor of God, that our feet are to be shod with the, 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 with, with the, the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. And we're, we are here to bring good news. Maybe there's a tragedy going on. Maybe there's a conflict going on. But I'm here to bring good news, and that good news is peace. The second thing I proclaim is salvation. And if you've been around any of my teaching for any long, you know that. Salvation in both the Hebrew and the Greek is an all-inclusive word that means wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. That's what the word means. It's Yeshua in the, in, in, in the Hebrew and it's Soteria in the Greek. But the word in both the Greek and Hebrew means wholeness. It means healing. So when I come to a situation and, and it's out of control, there's a sickness or an illness or whatever there may be, COVID, whatever you want to call it, the first thing I do, I say, peace! Be healed. Be whole. Receive your blessing. Receive your prosperity. I proclaim peace. And I proclaim salvation, wholeness to the situation. And I declare that my God reigns. I declare that your God reigns. Sickness is trying to reign in the situation. Conflict and strife is trying to reign in the situation. But I'm here to bring good news. I'm here to proclaim peace. I'm here to proclaim salvation. And I'm here to declare sickness is a reign, God reigns. COVID doesn't reign, God reigns. Conflict doesn't reign, God reigns. Pride doesn't reign, God reigns. You don't reign, I don't reign, God reigns. In this situation, in my life, in my family, in my business, in my church, God reigns. And I'm bringing that good news. I'm proclaiming it. And I'm declaring it. Uh, the, 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 the King James Version says, Declare to Zion, your God reigns. There's something I want to declare. I'm making a declaration that my God reigns. Okay? So, this is just my starting, my launching off verse. But there's one message that we're going to be focusing on in this teaching. And, and, and everything we teach is that, and this one message is good news. It's a gospel. It's also, this one message proclaims peace. It proclaims salvation. And it declares to Zion, his church, his people, his bride, your God reigns. Okay? And when we talk about the gospel, this good news, the gospel is basically sums up, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm going to say it over and over again. The gospel can really be summed up in five things a birth, death, res burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Okay? 
I see the birth as a new seed. I see the death of the sin nature, the, the nature of Adam. We'll get into this in a lot more detail. You know, this first lesson, the unity of the faith, is really an introduction to the other seven. Okay? We're going to cover a lot of things in this lesson that we will give a lot more detail in further lessons. It's the it's death of Christ, which is our sin nature. It's a burial of Christ. I mean, no, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So there's a death of Christ that I am buried with him. Romans 6 talks a lot about this, how we were crucified with him. We, it says in Romans 6.11 that we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, there's a death of Christ. There's a burial of Christ. We dissolve by our sin nature. But there, there's a resurrection of Christ. And we have a new nature. And it's not the old nature. Righteousness has a lot to do with the fact that we have a new nature. Okay? We're going to get a lot more detail about this. I'm, not going to, I'm just going to glancing over it right now. And then we have the ascension of Christ, which has to do a lot with the reign of Christ. I mean, you know, Jesus is sitting on the throne. He's in the heaven. He's the king of heaven. Hebrews 7 says he's the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace. And so he's reigning on the throne. And we are sitting on the throne with him in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. We'll get into a lot more detail. But even though this is, when I say the gospel, because you're going to hear me say the gospel, the word gospel, a lot in this teaching, it's really these five things. I really can sum it even down further, is that it's basically the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the, that's the gospel in simplicity. Okay? I know a lot of people have different definitions of the gospel, and I can preach this and the cows come home because this is what I believe. And when I say gospel, this is what I'm talking about. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The good news. The, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus proclaims peace. The death and burial, resurrection proclaims salvation. The death and burial, resurrection of Jesus declares to Zion, his church, your God reigns. And that's good news. Okay? In Romans 5, 17, Paul says, For if by one man's offense, that's Adam, death came through the one man, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's what we're talking about, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. If we connect these two verses together, Isaiah 52, your God reigns. And we Connected with this one. How many know that through Adam, death reigned? Sin reigned. Death reigned because of what Adam did. Between Adam and Jesus, the second Adam or the last Adam, death reigned. And it, it didn't reign because, I mean, you know, it didn't reign because of what you and I did. It, didn't be, it reigned because of what Adam did back in the garden. Okay? And death reigned through the one, Adam. Not based on what you did, but based on what Adam did. <clears throat> but much more, much more, death, death has reigned. Sin has reigned. Sin is ugly. Sin is rampant in our country. And it reigns because of what Adam did. But much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Just as much as... We hate sin. Sin is ugly. Sin is rampant. But those who have received the gift, the abundance of grace, and the gift of righteousness shall reign in this life, in this life, 
through the one, Jesus Christ. And we're going to be talking more about this in this teaching, okay? Romans 1, 16 and 17, you're going to hear me teach about this from a lot. For it says, for I, Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's that word gospel again. And it's not just any gospel, it's the gospel of Christ. For it is, it's not going to be, it's not could be, not should be, it is the power of God, and I like this one, the King James Version, unto salvation. <coughs> unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. What salvation? We just talked about it. It's wholeness, it's healing, it's prosperity, it's deliverance. The word soteria, here in the Greek. And this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believeth. You know, I love the King James. It's hard to it's, it's hard to read sometimes. I get that. But when there's that if on the end, the word believe means to believe and continue believing. And continue believing and continue to believe. It's a continuous action. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Paul's saying here in this verse, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for he is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And then verse 17, I have it in yellow, and I have it highlighted and underlined in bold print, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just, uh, the, word, the word just and the word, and the word righteous are the same word, okay? The just, the righteous shall live by faith. We're going to spend more time with this verse here, but let me just point out some, a couple things right now right off the bat. The first one is the gospel reveals his righteousness. Let me go back real quick. He says, he talks about how the gospel of Christ is the power of God and to salvation to everyone who believeth. For therein, therein what? The gospel, that's what he's talking about. He didn't change topic, okay? But therein is the gospel righteousness revealed. If you preach the gospel properly, you will reveal the righteousness of God. If you don't preach the gospel properly, you will not reveal the righteousness of God. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. If, if the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, I cannot preach righteousness without preaching the gospel. Because the gospel is what reveals the righteousness of God. And it reveals it from faith to faith. It's not by feeling. It's, it's, it's revealed from faith to faith. So that we, the righteous, the just, can live. We live by our faith. Going back to the last verse we, we talked to a minute ago. We, when we receive this gift of righteousness and abundance of grace... We reign in life. We live. We reign because the gospel reveals how we live. The just lives by his faith. The faith in what? The gospel. Where, how do we get faith? From the word of God. How do we get faith? From the gospel. And it reveals this righteousness to us. I know I'm getting deep, and we're going to go deeper, and we're going to dissect this a little bit more. But the I, I, and there's more I'm going to talk about, even with this verse. But get it this right now: the gospel reveals His righteousness. Okay, if God's righteousness is not being revealed in, in your teaching, you're not preaching the gospel. 
It's as simple and as complicated as that. You know, there's a lot of messages, there's a lot of teachings out there, there's a lot of doctrines out there, but if the teaching that you're hearing does not reveal the righteousness of God, you are not hearing the gospel. Okay? But if it does, you've just heard the gospel because the gospel reveals it. Let's exchange gears for a moment. Let's go to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'm in the King James. I'll be bouncing back between the King James and New King James. New King James is what I primarily teach from, but there's some richness in the King James that I just have to bring out. In 1 Corinthians, this is Paul's first letter to the Church of Corinthians. He's really in his uh, salutation to this, to this letter. But he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. There's a lot here. I'm not going to focus so much on the white wording here. I'm going to focus more on the yellow wording here for the sake of this message right here. Okay? He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, to me, and this is just me, this is Davology, this is not... Uh, uh, that's our theology. Okay? Paul is speaking very hard, very uh, assertive language here. Okay? He's making a point and he's, he's saying it as firm as he can without cussing. <laughs> if I can even put it that way. That might be a bad way of saying it. But my point is, I beseech you. He's talking to the church. I mean, you know, you're not, if you're present, you are born again. Okay? But I beseech you, brethren, by the name of Jesus. He doesn't just beseech us. He tags on Jesus' name. I beseech you in the name of Jesus. That is the strongest language you can use. He says, I beseech you, brethren, in the name of Jesus, that you all speak the same thing. How many of you know, through all of our different denominations and whatnot, we are, there's divisions among us? We are not joined perfectly together. There's confusion. And it's not just confusing in the church. It's confusing and chaos and a ridicule to the world. It's a mockery of the body of Christ. Now, I understand there might be some things that we don't agree on, but there's something that we need to speak the same thing about. I'm talking about the unity of the faith. And the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. If you go on in Paul's letter in verse 17 and 18... Paul says, well, Christ sent me not to be to baptize. He's not against baptism. But God, Paul didn't, God didn't not send Paul to baptize. He says, but to preach what? The gospel. Not with wisdom of words, that the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish, foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Paul did a lot of different things, but he knew that his purpose and his calling was to preach the gospel, to preach the cross, which is part of the gospel that I just outlined a minute ago. I want to back up a minute. Paul says in chapter 1 that we are all to speak the same thing. In the same chapter, he says that what he's speaking is the gospel. If we're supposed to speak the same thing, Paul's not speaking something different. He's speaking... He's preaching what we're supposed to preach, the gospel. And that makes sense. 
The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's take this a step further. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Let's stop there just for a moment. What's he saying? From Adam to Jesus, or from Adam to the early church, God has spoken in diverse manners in times past to us, to our forefathers, by the prophets. God has spoken through the prophets from throughout history, throughout the ages. God has been speaking to us by the prophets. Okay, and He hath in these last days spoken to us by His Son. What's He saying? In the Old Testament, God spoke to us by the prophets. In the New Testament, God is speaking to us by His Son. Big difference. Okay, He's not putting away. He's not doing away with the prophets. But that's how he spoke in the Old Testament. Are, are there not prophets in the New Testament? Yes, there are. We'll get into that. But he's speaking to the prophets that are speaking to us by his Son. Okay? Are there gifts of the Spirit in the name of the prophecies? Yes. But he's speaking to them. <coughs> We're not really challenging that right now. Right? We're not, actually, we're not challenging that at all. We're, what he's saying so far God in the past has spoken to us by the prophets. God in these days, in these last days, has spoken to us by his son. That's the point he's making. He's not, he's not talking about spiritual gifts right now. Okay. Whom, he's talking about the son, whom Jesus hath appointed, hath, he was appointed heir <coughs> of all things, by whom also he made the world. In other words, <coughs> Jesus the Son is the heir of all things, and he has made the world. He's the creator. Okay? Let's go to verse 3. This is where I want to get to. Who, he's talking about Jesus, the Son, being in the brightness of his glory, an express image of his person. Pause there for just for a moment. Try not to read ahead. <coughs> Let me just stand up for a moment. <laughs> yeah. In other words, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Okay? Do you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the express image of his person. Okay? And upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. What am I saying? What's he saying? Okay? God has been speaking. Let's go back. We're talking about the unity of the faith. Okay? We just talked. Let me go backwards for a moment. We just talked about how Paul said, let's speak the same thing. Let's, he, let's preach the gospel. That's the same thing Paul was preaching. God has been speaking one message through all the ages through the prophets. He's now speaking one message through his son. And this son... And what is it? What is this? What, what is this one message that God has been speaking? This Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who, who created the worlds. He said he he he's not only created the world; he's upholding all things by the word of his power. Let's just stop there for a moment. Let me step step in front of this again. Okay, God created the world through Jesus Christ, His Son, and He says He's upholding. Holding all things by the word of his power. 
You know, every atom, every molecule, every, I mean, I don't understand, some of you are sitting on the chair, you're looking at a, you're even looking at on the internet, the iPad, the phone, the, the, the computer that you're looking at, everything God's created, not just the trees and the flowers, the birds and the animals, not just you, but every, I mean, I understand some of the things like the iPad or phone that you have, or the chair you're sitting on was manufactured, but but God made the components that they could manufacture that. Everything God, everything that cre is created, even if it was man-made, it was made man-made by components that God created. Okay? God created the world. And he said he is upholding everything by the power of his word. If God's word is not true, then then I used to say like everything would just turn to goo. But my wife corrected me years ago, it wouldn't just turn to goo. It would be non-existent. It would just disappear. God is upholding the universe. Everything, the stars, the planets, everything by the power of his word. When God said, let there be light, that light bulb in the sky has not gone out since. The stars, everything, the moon, have not stopped doing what God ordained them to do since creation. Are you getting that? But he goes deeper. <coughs> Not only did Jesus, who is speaking to us in these last days, the same Jesus who created the world, the same Jesus who, who he's upholding all things by the power of his word, is speaking to us today. That's awesome. And not only did he create the world by the power of his word, oops, I hit the button. He created the world when? He's upholding everything by the power of his word when he had by himself purged our sins. That's the gospel. When he purged our sins, he died on the cross and he rose again, but specifically when he purged our sins on the cross, which is the gospel, that is the one word, that is the very specific word that he is upholding all things. Not only will God upholding everything by his word. He is upholding everything by a very specific word. The word when he purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of Matthew and Matthew. What's this phrase about? That's about the ascension. When Jesus ascended, he went to go sit down at the right hand of Matthew and Matthew. That's part of the gospel. So everything that we're talking are you getting this? This is, I don't know about you, but when I saw this a few years ago, this is profound. God is not just upholding everything by his word. He is upholding everything by a very specific word, the gospel. He didn't use the word gospel, but he's describing the gospel very specifically. Because him purging our sins is the essence of the gospel. To me, the gospel is the essence of the word of God. And of the, and of the whole essence the gospel purging our sins because how many of you know <coughs> if Jesus didn't purge our sins none of us are righteous what makes you and I righteous we're going to get into this a lot deeper the thing that gives you and I righteous is that he purged our sins we could not be in a right relationship with God I mean the word, I didn't say this earlier I probably should have but the, def the right definition for righteousness is a right relationship with God. A right relationship with God is a definition of righteousness. And you and I could not have a right relationship with God because of sin. And my favorite verse, I don't have it on the screen today, I will have it next week, 
But as 2 Corinthians 5, 21, He who knew no sin became sin, that you and I could become the righteousness of God in Him. The fact that He became our sin, the fact that He purged our sins, so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. And it's that word that He is upholding all things. And it's that word that Paul says, He beseeches us to preach the same message, the gospel. So we're talking about unity. Let's talk about unity for a moment. I'm going to actually quote from Andrew Womack. Okay, Andrew Womack. And he made this quote, and hopefully follow me forward. Let's talk about unity. Love is the bond of perfection that holds us together. We are not bonded together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. I want to read this again. Love is the bond of perfection that holds us together as a body of Christ, as a family of God. We are not bonded together by doctrine. However, we must have a shared foundation. You talk about the foundation, not every doctrine, the foundation of doctrine to have true unity. Okay. We are not bound together by doctrine, but we must have a shared foundation of doctrine to have true unity. Unity. I like that. Okay. Let's continue on the side of unity for a moment. See, unity is not just coexisting. You can coexist, get along, not be in strife, but that doesn't mean you're in unity. There's some people, I'm not going to cause an argument with them, but it doesn't, I'm not going to go into partnership with them about something. I'm not going to, and I might associate with them to a certain level. Jesus even hung out with the publicans and sinners. But our the depthness of our relationship is only going to go so far. Okay, but unity is not coexisting. Unity is not tolerance of false doctrine. Okay, we must have a common foundation, and that's what I'm trying to convey this morning. We're talking about the unity of the faith. We're talking about how Paul pre preached one message. He beseeches us to preach one message. We pre we talk about how God created everything. He is holding everything by His word and a very specific word which is the gospel. Okay. Now I want to switch gears for a moment. I want to, I want to go to Ephesians. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, but I want to, uh, I want to set, I want to set up Ephesians chapter 4. What did Paul talk about that led him up to Ephesians chapter 4? Okay. Because this phrase, unity of the faith, is, comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, where I'm going to go to. That's where I'm heading. Now, uh, let me just give you a little recap. Now, it's kind of cool because uh, we just finished a teaching on the four prayers of Paul. And two of those prayers came from Ephesians. So we, are, we already did a study from Ephesians chapter 1. And we already did a study from Ephesians chapter 3. So I'm going to recap those two things right now. Uh, not the prayers, but I'm just going to recap them real quick here. Uh, just bullet point. Uh, and I, I'm not going to go into detail. And I didn't, I didn't plan on having that message before having this message, but this is mine, but it just kind of worked out. Any of you who have been with us recently, you know what I'm talking about. But in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul op opens with a prayer. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be open to know the hope of his calling. He prays that we would know the promise of our inheritance. And he would pray that we would know the power of his resurrection and that our feet would be established as the church. Okay? We talked about that in Ephesians 1. But in Ephesians chapter 3, <coughs> I know I skipped over. Ephesians chapter 2, but Ephesians chapter 3 says, Paul has a second prayer. 
that we just talked about a few weeks ago. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm talking too fast. Excuse me. In the second prayer, he prays that we would know the full dimension of his love. He prays we would know his love that surpasses knowledge. He prays that we would be filled with the fullness of God, that we that we'd be able to do far above we could ever think or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. We talked about these things in the last two prayers prior. But in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're not going to read the first 10 verses, but let me recap these first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 4. If you read it, you can read this on your own. I'm not going to have the scriptures up here. But he talks about how we're going to walk worthy of our calling. Okay? And he talks about how there is one body, there is one spirit, there is one hope, there is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, and there is one God and Father. He talks about these things in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. So, do you know the common denominator that's in these first 10 verses? He's talking a lot about one, okay? Uh, we have the same body, same spirit, same hope, same Lord. Same faith, same baptism, and the same God and Father. Okay? Three second. I don't know about you, but one speaks a lot about unity. My point of bringing this out. He, and this whole book to Ephesians, there's something that Paul wants us to know and understand. We talked about that in the two prayers that we just mentioned a minute ago. He also talked about how we ought to be one. And he says this a lot in this, and even the two prayers when we covered it a few weeks ago. Paul talked about the churches to be unified. And it's in this context that we get to, we, we come up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Okay, that's where we're going to pick it up here. And he, God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And they mentioned ago, did God still have prophets in the New Testament? Well, he, 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 gave, he gave that gift to the church. So, okay, so he didn't do away with that. Okay, verse 12. For the equipping, he gave the five, what we call this a fivefold ministry. He gave the fivefold ministry, and if you go back there, I think it's verse eight. These these fivefold ministries are a gift to the church. They're not a gift for them. They're a gift. These men, these people, men or women, are a gift to the church. The gift that God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, etc., is a gift to the church, not to these people. I don't have the gift of pastoring just so I can be a good pastor, so I feel good. No, God has given me the gift of pastoring as a gift to the church. Okay, it's not for me; it's for you. Okay, and what am I supposed to do? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. In other words, from God, I have a job description. Okay, we may have different roles how that's played out. We may have different parts. How many of the different kinds of pastors? How many know apostle is different than a pastor? We have different roles. But no matter what our role is, our job description is the same. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying by Christ. My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry so that you can... And what is the, work, what is the ministry? To edify one another. My job is to equip you to minister to one another. Okay? There's a lot more detail in that. We're being, but we're being simple. We're being general right now. 
Okay? If you take this as a King James, I just want you to see some of the wording here. Without perfecting, we're going to look at this word in just a moment. Okay? <coughs> but verse 13 in the King James says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith. There's that phrase. That's a, type, that's a subtitle of this particular uh, message. So let's go back real quick. He gave, he gave the fivefold ministry so that we could, so that we, the fivefold ministry, could equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of body of Christ. And then I like the King James because there's a colon right here. At the end of verse 12, there's a colon right there. We're supposed to edify the body of Christ to what? Till we all come to the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, something he's been praying in the first two, first, the two prayers that we mentioned in Ephesians 1 and 3, and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul, Paul said that God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, with edifying the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith. Verse 12, let me go back here real quick. Verse 12, the purpose of what we're supposed to do is so that we can all come to the unity of not just a faith, but the faith. Okay? This is huge. Let's go back again. We're in the New King James here. And he gave some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for that body of Christ. I want to look at this word equipping real quick. Okay, word equipping. When I think of this word equipping, I automatically go to Second Timothy three sixteen to seventeen, and it says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, <coughs> and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, what in righteousness." So that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly what? Equipped for some good works. For every good work. Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Then you need to be inspired by God through doctrine that is... You need, you need to allow all scripture to indoctrinate you, reprove you, and correct you and instruct you where in righteousness. You know how I like to read this verse? All scripture, I mean, you know, <coughs> excuse me, all scripture, all means all, not just some, not just your favorite verses. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and righteousness, for reproof and righteousness, for correction and righteousness. For instruction in righteousness. All scripture, we already established that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God, Romans 1, 16 and 17. But here in Timothy, Paul is teaching. <coughs> Timothy is a young pastor. And Timothy is Paul's apprentice. And Paul is teaching Timothy that all scripture is possible to indoctrinate, to reprove, and correct, and instruct people in righteousness. And when you are properly indoctrinated, see, I call this message being established in righteousness. 
That means you're being indoctrinated in righteousness. That means you're being reproved, corrected, and instructed, or trained in righteousness. Why? So that you, the man or woman of, of God, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do I want you to be established in righteousness? Because when you are, you will be equipped for every good work. If you are not, you are not completely and thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm not being mean. It's just how it works. Okay? I can't teach you how to fix your car. Why? Because I have not been indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in car repair. I am not completely and thoroughly equipped to service your car. Okay? But we're not talking about car repair. We're talking about being equipped for every good work. Every good work. How to be a good spouse. How to be a good parent. How to be a good citizen. How to be a good business person. How to be a good student. Whatever you put your hands to, if you want to be equipped for every good work, then you need to be indoctrinated, reproved, and corrected, and trained in righteousness. Okay? Let's go back. For the purpose but the King James uses, doesn't use the word equip. It uses the word perfecting of the body uh, 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 of the saints. Let's look at that word, okay? The King James uses it here, perfecting. Well, so does the King James uses that same word in, in the verse that we just read. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Well, you know, someone who is righteous in God's eyes is perfect. And there's nothing that can perfect you more than the righteousness of God. And it's the righteousness of God in Christ. And we're going to get into that detail later. Paul said this in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.10. Nine day I'm praying exceedingly for you, that we might see you face to face. I'm adding some words in there, but you get my point. Paul was praying that he, he was talking to the church of Thessalonica. He was praying exceedingly day and night that he could see them face to face. And might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Some people read this and they get offended. We mean my faith is not perfect. We all can use some work. Anything that's not a faith is sin. If we were all perfecting in our faith, we would be moving mountains like, like they were hot potatoes. Okay? We all can use some equipping. We can all use some perfection. We can all use some instruction, training, and righteousness. So that we can be perfect in our faith. And Paul, Paul, we just need to be admonished. We just need to encourage. You know, any good athlete, any good business person is going to need to have a refresher course once in a while. And I think everyone should have a mentor. I think everyone should have someone they're mentoring. And I believe everyone should have someone who's mentoring them. I believe that's healthy. I believe, you, I believe it's healthy to have someone that you are encouraging and challenging, and you need someone that will encourage and challenge you. I think that is good. I think that is healthy. I think that's the way it's supposed to be. But, and I can teach on that, but that's not where I'm going at. Let's switch gears for a moment. In Psalm 89, verse 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth come before your face. There's a lot more. We're going to look at this a lot more later in other lessons. But righteousness and truth, righteousness and justice, are the foundation of his throne. I've been mentioning this already a lot. There's a foundation that I want you to be established in, and that is righteousness. 
not trying to eliminate justice, but we're talking about righteousness. Okay, that's what we're talking about. So I'm trying to get this. So one of my main points I'm bringing out right now is that righteousness is the foundation. So we're going to talk a lot more about this in, 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 in future lessons. We're going to talk about how righteousness is the elementary teachings. Elementary is foundational. And it's not a negative thing. It's not a, it's not a, a, a offensive thing. It's just elementary. Something that's elementary is foundational. You know, if you don't learn elementary, if you don't learn elementary things in school, you're not going to be do well in high school and higher education. If you can't get the easy stuff down, when I say it's easy, it's foundational. I want to tell you, I learned more in elementary school than I did in high school. I built on that through the years, but I learned a lot in elementary school. It was foundational. Righteousness is the foundation. Of his throne. A throne is where the king reigns. It's on the throne where the king holds a scepter. And we'll read about it later, but in, in, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, I think it's verse 8, our scepter is a scepter of righteousness. We're kings and priests. And our scepter is a scepter of righteousness. It's a foundation. And if the throne is where the king reigns, and we are kings and priests, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And I can bring out several scriptures that point. Uh, Glad I say that. We are kings and priests. Our th- and we're, we're not on our own throne. We are sitting on his throne with him. Okay? We're sitting on our papa's lap. We're sitting on our Savior's lap. We're, we're, but we're sitting with him. We're united. When we're talking about the unity of the faith, we are united with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that is foundational. And that's where his kingdom reigns. That's what the throne is where the kingdom makes decrees. What, we started off this whole teaching was how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who, who brings glad tidings and good things, who proclaims salvation, and who declares to Zion, your God reigns. He reigns in righteousness. Hebrews 7 says he's the king of righteousness, and he is the king of peace. Let's go back to Romans real quick here. We're running out of time here shortly. But he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, for therein is, a, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as written, the just shall live by his faith. We're going to be looking at this verse in a lot more detail next week and when we get to lesson two. But let me just, we're still kind of uh, piggybacking on this perfecting, this equipping, this perfecting <coughs> that we brought out in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. We talked about this. But we're still kind of on that, 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 that level because the gospel is revealing something to us to perfect us. The gospel will perfect you. The gospel will, will you know, G, um, Paul said this in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, that the gospel is the wisdom of God. It's not just the power of God, it's also the wisdom of God. And someone who is not grounded and founded and established in righteousness, and we'll look at this later, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, they are unlearned. They are immature. So, you can tell me all about other doctrines, but if you are not established in righteousness, and I don't say this to offend you, I don't say this to be mean, I say this to help you, but you, you can tell me how how much you're filled with the Spirit and this and that. But if you are not established in righteousness, in my opinion, based on Scripture, you are immature as a believer. 
Now, I'm not saying you're not a believer. You are a believer. But you are not mature. A baby is a, is, is a, is a human. I know some people don't agree with that, but I, a baby is a human. But they're not mature yet. A child is not mature yet. That doesn't, that doesn't make, mean the child and the baby is insignificant. No, they're very significant. But they need some training. They need some growing up. And if you are immature as a believer, I'm not putting you down. I'm not saying you're not insignificant. I'm just saying you need some training. You need to be indoctrinated, reproved, corrected, and trained in righteousness. Okay? And we're going to get into that in just a moment here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, it's perfecting is the same word used for equipping here in the New King James. Now, when we talk about this whole equipping, we looked at this verse a couple weeks ago, and when we were talking about the prayers of Paul, but Colossians says that the mystery which has been hidden from all ages, from all generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. There's something that God is revealing to his saints, to his people, to his children. And it's this whole revealing that God is doing when? Now. When's now? Now. Not yesterday. Now, no testament. Now. Till Jesus comes. God is revealing something to his saints, to his children, to his church, to Zion. This is the same language that he spoke in Romans 1.16. The gospel is revealing the righteousness of God. God is revealing. Now, I believe that this mystery that we talked briefly about in our last teaching has a lot to do with the righteousness of God that is being revealed now from faith to faith with the church of We'll spend more time on this in the weeks to come. <coughs> Excuse me. But this is being revealed now. And we're going to spend a lot more time on that phrase right there. Okay. Um, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man, man and teaching every man who all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. We already done with that word perfect, and that means to be equipped. And there's nothing, there's only one thing that can perfect you, and that's the blood of Jesus. There's only one thing that can perfect you, and that's the presence of God. There's only one thing that can perfect you, and that is God himself, his Jesus, his blood, his gift of righteousness. Okay, we'll talk, we'll get more detail about that later. But let's go let's, Ephesians chapter 5. So, and let me piggyback on this. This whole perfecting speaks to, I, I like to, when I talk about perfecting, I also like to look at Ephesians. Because Paul says in Ephesians 5, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he, Jesus, our husband, gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own and bodies, and he who loves his wife loves himself. He'll go on to say in the same chapter, he says, I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. This, this is a good lesson for marriage. Don't get me wrong. And, and Paul makes that point too. But he's not talking. He, he's using marriage as an allegory of how Christ loves us. But I want you to see something. We, when we think of holiness, when we think of righteousness, we think that we have to do it. No. Jesus 
gave himself for us. He sanctifies and cleanses us. He presents us to himself. We participate. We can reject that. We can try to do our own thing. See, that's why religion is so bad. Because religion is trying to do it yourself. If, if you're doing it yourself, he's not doing it. And if he's not doing it, you're not you, you, you have not been perfected. Isaiah says that our own righteousness is like filthy rags. Do you know what a filthy rag is? In Jewish custom, a filthy rag is a feminine cloth. I'm not trying to be gross, but that's what it is. And that's pretty gross. Okay? And so, and God says, I didn't say it, but Isaiah 64, it says that our self-righteousness is like filthy rags. Who, you're, even if, you can't perfect yourself. There's no boasting in what we've done. There's only boasting what he did. Now we have to, we can reject it. We can allow him not to cleanse us. You know, he didn't force himself to, on her, but he is doing all the work. And that's what we're talking about in righteousness. He's going to present us to himself, a glorious church. Okay? So, it goes back to Ephesians 4.12. It says, for the equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of life. Let's deal with this word ministry real quick. We're almost out of time. I want to get this word ministry. We talked about the Lord equipping the saints. Now let's look at for the, the, this ministry. We'll spend more time on this in, in future lessons. But in 2 Corinthians 3 7, it says, Paul's talking about, but the ministry of death written engraved on stones. He's talking about what, what there's only one message that was engraved on stones, that's the law. Okay? Was but he says it was glorious. It, it's, it's the Old Testament, it's done away with, but it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For the ministry of the condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So there's a comparison here of two different kinds of ministries. In these two verses, he talks about the ministry of death and condemnation. And he compares it with the ministry of the Spirit and righteousness. In chapter 5, he calls it the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, we're not going to deal with that so much right now. But my, my point is, <coughs> there's two kinds of ministries. The ministry of the law, the Old Testament, which is the ministry of death and condemnation. And the ministry of the Spirit and righteousness. In other words, the ministry of the Spirit is the ministry. Me, that just takes it to another dimension for me. Righteousness is not just of Jesus, it's the ministry of the Spirit as well. I can't separate that. Because in uh, how he how connected that, we'll spend more time on this later. Okay? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of <coughs> the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edify means to build up. That's what the word means. We can expound on that, but I, I want to keep it simple. It means to build up. How many know we're supposed to build one another up, not tear people down? How many, how many of you can use some building up? How many of you can use some encouragement? Okay, we all need that. Okay? And so, God's given us the Bible ministry so that we can perfect the saints, equip the saints for the work of the ministry of edifying, building up one another. Remember how I told you there was a, uh, yeah, there's a colon right here. Sorry, I got ahead of myself in my own thoughts. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. We are doing all this so that all of us 
can come into the unity of the faith. What faith? The faith in Jesus. The faith, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, so the just will live by his faith. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live by the faith of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? And we, and we need to do this in unity. But there's one message. There's one message that God's been speaking throughout the prophets is now speaking to us in, by his son. It's the same message that God is upholding the whole world when he himself purged our sins. It's the same message that, that is beautiful that God has shot at our feet with the gospel of peace that we can bring good news and proclaim peace and salvation and declare our God reigns. It's the same message that God, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you, by the, by the name of Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing. Okay? So when we're talking about the unity of the faith, we are talking about there's one message. Okay? We're talking about how, how the unity of faith is the knowledge of the Son of God. This is something that Paul has been speaking. We're, we're, we get this out of, out of chapter 4, but Paul's been talking about the knowledge of God in chapters 1, 2, and 3. If you've been following the law in the last several weeks, if you've been here, we are supposed to talk about the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, you know, there's a lot of messages I can preach, but there's one message I'm going to preach loud and clear in this church. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I don't care if you don't know about end time events. I want you to know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, you don't want the end time events to come. If you need to know Jesus, I want you to know Jesus. Because eternal life is not just going to heaven. Yes, Jesus is coming again. And yes, I believe in eternal life. But Jesus said this in John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that you know him, the one true God, and the Son, Jesus Christ. I'm paraphrasing that. But the eternal life is that you know him. Okay? And there's one thing I want you to know, and that is Jesus. Not just intellectually, I want you to know him personally. But the unity of faith is also about talking about unto a perfect man. I want all of us to be equipped. I want all of us to be equipped and ready for every good work. My job as a pastor is to equip you to perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Not to put you down, to build you up. Because the word equip, it means to build up. I'm not putting you down. Now, there might be some things that we need to pluck out. Some doctrines and some teachings and whatnot. You know, some strife, some pride. But we're going to do that in love, and we're going to do that together. And we're not, we're not doing it to, build you, to tear you down. We're doing it to build you up. Okay? <coughs> and here's the thing we're talking about to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, when you, let's go back real quick. When you read this verse, there's four things that are mentioned here. I, we're doing all these things that we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of Christ. Those are the four things that I just listed here. That's the unity of the faith right there. And that, there's one message. It's a message about the Son of God. It's a message about being a perfect man. There's only one thing that can perfect you. And it's a message of right. All scripture is possible for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, perfect for every good work. Okay? And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The stature of the fullness of Christ. See, when I think of this phrase, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, I think of maturity, I think of fruitfulness, I think of developmental, and I think of codependency. 
what can I talk about dependency? I'm talking about because I'm talking about maturity, I'm, it actually should be dependency, not codependency. I got to tell what codependency here in a moment. I'm basically out of time here, but I'm, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm almost done. I don't know if I'm making sense here this morning. This is actually the prelude to really the, the heart of this message on righteousness. Ephesians 4.12 says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. Remember, there's a colon here. So we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God until a perfect man and to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. But there's also another colon here. There's two colons. There's actually three colons in this whole sentence. Okay, we're not going to deal with the third one today. And so what does this look like? Well, that's what the colon's for. Now we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro from carried away about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There's a lot here, but Paul does not want the church to be deceived. He does not want the church to be misled by the slate of men who are cunning and craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. How many of you know there's a lot, there's some just very crafty and corrupt ministers out there? And if you are not in the unity of the faith, if you don't know the Son of God, if you are not perfected in Him in Christ, and if you are not have not come to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, you can be tossed by every wind of doctrine. How many know there's so many doctrines out there? And if you are not established in righteousness, you can be like a child, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Now let me talk about children just for a moment. Children are all are awesome. We were all a child at one point. <laughs> okay? But children are awesome. And I'm not putting down children. But we need to understand this in context of what we just read. Children, although they are awesome, they are also immature in that stage of life. Okay? They're not going to stay a child. They're going to grow up and mature. But as a child, compared to an adult, they are mature. Like immature. Now, I say that, there are some children out there that are actually more mature than some adults I know. Okay. But, the way it's, and, and that's actually a little abnormal. What, what's normal is that children are immature. Okay. They're a child. Children are also gullible. And children are also codependent. Okay. Let me deal with these three things real quick. And there's actually a fourth thing. They're also unable to reproduce. So when I'm talking about immaturity in a child, there's three things here. Let's go back up to this one. The first one, gullible. What do I mean by that? A children are so gullible because they're learning. They're looking at everything. They're asking questions. They're why, 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 why? But they're learning. Why? Because they're a child. That's what they're supposed to do. You know, we have a puppy. She's learning. If we do something, she wants it to. She's learning. She knows what we do, what we do, and our patterns and whatnot. She's learning. Okay, but they're gullible. You know, children will will spend. I know this. Uh, <clears throat> let me just say it this way: We are all where we are today because of what we learned as a child and through our upbringing. Through the years, 
we have seen and witnessed what other people do, our parents did, our teachers did, our mentors did, our friends did, our enemies did, what we see on, in, in the media, on TV, and whatnot. And we have been, everything that we see, everything that we listen to, we, we have been processing, I like that, I don't like that, I like that, I don't like that. I agree with that, I don't agree with that. And we have been processing everything. And our whole belief systems today are based on what we've been taught through the years. Whether it was a good influence or whatever the bad influence, we've been all we have all come to where we are in our belief systems today based on what we have experienced, based on what we have been taught. You know, even some serial killers out there, I think it was Mason if I'm not, not mistaken. I might have the story wrong. But he had a group of young people that were just looking for love. And they got rejected by society, he got rejected by parents, and the one that would take him in was a serial killer. And he began became their mentor. Yeah, how, how horrible something as that is. You know, people, children are gullible. And, and so, I mean, children, if, not, if you teach them that there's a Santa Claus, they'll believe there's a Santa Claus. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll believe things. I really thought there was a Batman and Robin when I grew up. I really thought it was, they were there. When we were going to go to the mall to go see Batman and Robin, I was looking for the Batmobile when we pulled into the parking lot. Of course, now I know someone dressed up as Batman and Robin. But when I was a child, I was watching the 70s show Batman and Robin, and I was looking for Batman and Robin. I had no reason to not believe that it wasn't true. I was gullible. Okay, but if you're not mature, if you're not established in righteousness, if you're not established in the Word of God, when someone comes around with bad teaching, you can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Children are also not just gullible, but they are also codependent, and rightfully so for a season. You want an infant, you want a toddler to be codependent on an adult. They can't dry themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't cook. They can't go get a job. They can't go this and that. You don't want them going outside the front door without a, 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 a supervision. They need to be codependent. As they get older, hopefully they are less codependent. And as they become adult, they, you, I mean, you don't want your kids, not that your door's not open to them, but you don't want your kids staying, living with you for 40, 50, 80 until you die. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing in some cultures, but you want them to grow up in the sense that they are dependent. Okay? And as new believers, you know, there's a, there's a season for new believers to be codependent to a certain degree. They need to be trained. They need to be discipled. They need to be grounded in the Word of God. If they get in an argument with somebody doctrinally, they're not grounded. They can either be persuaded or they be so mutilated that, they, that their, their faith is crushed. Because sometimes with new believers or someone who's never heard this before, it, it, it's okay to hold their hand for a little while. But there comes a time where we, we're going to not hold your hand so much. Well, you need to, in a, like an eagle is pushing the eagle out of the nest, we need to let you fly. Not to hurt you, but to help you. But that doesn't, you, you don't push the eagle out of the, uh, out of the nest too early either. 
There is a season for codependency to a certain extent. We want them to be dependent on God, not us. As a pastor, I don't want them dependent on I don't want pe- people depend on me. I get a lot of people depend on me to ask me for money. I'll pray for them for money. I'll pray for blessing. But I am not your source. Now, if I gave you money every time you asked for it, I'm actually d- doing you a disservice. I'm hurting you. I'm not helping you. Because when that money, when you spend that money, which you, you might spend it before the day is over, you're going to be coming to me again. Or somebody else. You need to be dependent on God. God is a source. I'm not saying God can't use people. God can't use me to bless you. But I am not your source. He is. And as a pastor, I want to teach you to be dependent on God. Okay? And then the last thing here, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going over it. I'm almost done. They're unable to reproduce. Every seed is produced of its kind. But a, a, a toddler it does not have the capacity to reproduce yet. They have to come of age. And when they come of age, when the time is right, and they are married, and everything's proper, now it's time to reproduce. Okay? And so, but we want to we want to win the world. Well, we can't win the world if we're still an infant. We can't win the world if we're still, if we're not indoctrinated and established in who we are in Christ. If we're still trying to figure it out ourselves, how are we going to help others? And I'm not saying that, you know, once you... Uh, le- le- once, once you've learned it, that you're not going to still learn. We're going to be, none of us, including myself, need to stop learning. We are going to keep learning until Jesus comes. I think we're, in one sense we're going to keep learning when we go to heaven to a certain extent. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of questions. And I know in our spirit we know all things. I don't know how all that plays out. But, but anyway, I'm not worried about that. Right now we're supposed to be occupied until he comes. And I... But if we're not established in righteousness, we will be tossed here and thrown by every wind of doctrine. And you know what? It's not just every wind of doctrine. But you know, as a pastor, even as just as a Christian, I've seen some people their faith get shipwrecked when a tragedy hits. Why? Because there's no root system. And they're not established in who they are in Christ. And when tragedy hits, uh, you know, they just take their ball home, whining because the game's not going the way they thought it should. And they're just, they're crushed, they're broken, they're, they're defeated, they're devastated. And someone who's devastated is not grounded in who they are in Christ. We've had some bad things happen to us. We've had people treat us bad. We've had things happen to us. But one thing that kept us going is that we are established in who we are in Christ. And that has kept us going. We can be tossed by every wind of doctrine, but we can also be tossed by, by the, the, the tragedy of life. Jesus said this, you know, he who builds his house on the rock, although the storms come, there won't be any destruction because they built their house on the rock. But those who build their house on the sand, the destruction will be great. Wrapping this up. I keep saying that. What am I trying to say in this message? There is one message. And my job as a pastor is to equip the saints till we all come to the unity of the faith. Romans 1 says it this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. This gospel reveals the righteousness of God, and that's what I've already built to you in the series. And this righteousness, this gospel, proclaims peace. 
It proclaims salvation and declares in Zion, your God reigns. I want to beseech you, to you as brethren and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, that we all speak the same thing. That we all preach the gospel, preaching about the cross. We're going to get into this a lot more deeper, and I don't have time to go into it right now, but I'm going to read it to you real quick. That there's something that we need to so learn. And this truth that we need to so learn is in Jesus. And this truth that we need to so learn is that we put off the old man, and that we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We'll, we'll look at this a lot more deeper in the weeks to come. We've been talking about this week about the unity of the faith. Next week is kind of the same title of our message, but I'm going to start getting into the nuts and bolts about being established in righteousness. We got eight teachings in this in this uh, in this teaching. <coughs> we're just barely getting started. We're going to go deeper, and we're going to get talk about being established in righteousness and a whole deeper level starting next week. I hope this has been a blessing to you. We got more to come. Sorry if we're going over a little bit. We did have a little bit of a late start, so I'm not too going too bad about that. So anyway, God bless you guys. We'll see you tonight, six o'clock, and we'll, we'll go from there. All right, God bless.